Today we're taking a look at what's happening in today's food supply chain between the farm and the grocery store. Ryan Dietz is the president and co-owner of Heartland Produce. They distribute produce to grocers and processors in the upper Midwest. About half of their business is in Wisconsin. The food comes from all over the world right to their facility in Kenosha. He says trucking strains have eased since last year, but other input costs are keeping food prices up. So last year was actually much more challenging in the trucking business than it was this year. Uh, there was a definitely shortage of trucks on the road and truck drivers and uh, diesel fuel prices were, were obviously skyrocketing. Um, late this year, we've seen pricing for fuel uh, has come off a little bit, but uh, the trucking shortage has definitely eased. So we have seen freight rates on our product from California, whereas this time last year we might have been averaging 7500 to $8,000 per load of product that we were bringing in from California. Now we're probably averaging you know, $5,500 to $6,000 on a load of product from California. So we've actually seen freight rates decrease from the same time period last year. But food prices seem to be higher than they were. Yeah, so there's a lot of other input costs other than just the cost of transportation. So you know, growers out in California or Florida or any other growing area, Mexico, uh, anywhere you could imagine, are uh, being hit with, you know, much higher uh, either labor rates, uh, you know, wages that they're paying, paying their employees. They're seeing increased box costs of the materials that they're packing the products in. They're seeing increased seed costs uh, for conventionally grown produce. They're seeing increased fertilizer costs and or uh, pest control costs. So they're seeing uh, many more costs all along the way. And then just, you know, it, inflationary pressures on uh, everyone's business in general. Just uh, all businesses all along the chain are seeing much higher expenses uh, in a lot of areas uh, that are just hitting, um, end up getting passed along to the consumer. So I want to ask about railroad and barge transportation. Do you partake in any of that at all? So a lot of fresh produce, imported produce gets uh, shipped via shipping containers. So there are uh, products that get loaded out of South America uh, and, and some other uh, ports that would come in either the East Coast or West Coast, and then from there they get offloaded and then usually get shipped by truck to us. But then we do also utilize some rail shipments out of California and some other growing areas. How are you seeing river levels influencing barge transportation? Any concern over rail strikes that impact you right, right here in Wisconsin? Uh, there was some discussion when the the rail strikes uh, were looming. There was some discussion of that and how that would be affecting fresh produce uh, because there is some fresh produce that's shipped by rail. As far as river levels and barges, there isn't really any fresh produce, at least not to my knowledge, uh, that's shipped via barge. Another thing, too, weather. I mean, if you're if you're hauling and distributing produce, does mm-hmm. drought ever impact your business just because that it influences the product? Can you tell me how weather plays a role in distribution? Absolutely. So weather's obviously a huge issue all across the produce supply chain, uh, especially the growing end. California is probably uh, one of the best examples that I can think of. So we've got several growing areas in California where they simply don't have enough access to water, where they are just not growing certain commodities. I've got a broccoli grower, for instance, that uh, won't grow, grow broccoli. He used to grow broccoli kind of in the fall and then again in the spring. And that was kind of a really good opportunity for him because usually it helped uh, kind of split the gap between a couple other growing areas. And he's not able to grow his product any longer 
uh, because they don't have the access to water that they need to grow the product. So that's happening, you know, all across the country, you know, especially on the West Coast. Uh, it's definitely affecting. And then you're seeing, you know, on more the spot market side, um, you know, some shorter-term challenges. We're seeing it right now with some weather out in California. We're seeing some cold uh, cold weather out there, which affects the growing cycles. So we're seeing a lot of vegetable markets that are hugely uh, short supply, which is increasing the pricing on a lot of the commodities. Uh, number one, they've got a virus out in California that's taking out a lot of leaf lettuces, uh, romaine, uh, iceberg lettuce, things like that. And then the weather is just not helping them any. Hey, did the hurricane influence how you do things at all in Florida with your distribution network? Did that impede movement? The most recent hurricane didn't have a huge impact. It probably was less than a week worth of disruption where there might have been some you know, short-term supply challenges, but, you know, usually um, there's product coming out of other growing areas that's able to kind of fill in the gaps. Like we get a lot of asparagus, good example, we get asparagus that comes in uh, via either air or uh, shipping container through uh, Miami, and that then gets trucked up from Florida. So if the hurricane probably shuts down Florida for a day or two, you know, now we're bringing in Mexican asparagus off the West Coast. So, you know, there's... The food chain is very resilient in that way that there are multiple growing areas sometimes. Uh, there are events that happen sometimes where you see multiple weather events in multiple growing areas, and then you see really bad short supply situations on products, which definitely affect uh, the pricing. Anything else that you wanted to add about the supply chain before we move on? Things that the general consumer is often surprised to learn about? Yeah, it's prob- a lot of it has to do with the difference between the way some of the large chains like your Walmarts or Kroger's might be handling some of their purchases versus what some of your small independent grocers uh, are doing. You know, the smaller independent grocers don't have quite the buying power that a large chain would have, and, you know, large chains might be able to absorb some of these price increases and take a, a loss on, a- on an item for a certain length of time where a small independent grocer is not able to do that. So you might have a Walmart that's advertising that they're lowering uh, prices going into Thanksgiving, rolling pricing back to pre-inflation levels, where in reality they're just doing it by you know lowering, uh, by basically losing money on those SKUs to make customers think that uh, hey we're you know give them a more warm and fuzzy feeling uh, to go in their shopping. So a lot of times the small mom and pop grocery chains don't uh, have that opportunity. So who are your primary retail uh, clients or customers that, that you work with? So the core customer base that we service are mostly uh, independent retailers. So in the, independently owned, uh, anywhere from you know, one to two store operators to maybe 20, 20 30 store chains. The food business is, is very resilient, and I think a lot of them are just doing what we're all doing and we're trying to manage expenses to the best of our ability and you know we're trying to absorb uh, some of those expenses where we can and and the retailers are no different so um i I think they're doing it where they can but they they are you know at the point where they're they're going to have to raise pricing on certain items here and there and uh you know it's definitely not anyone's preference that they have to do that but you know when your expenses go up and the cost of goods go up you have no choice but to raise some pricing here and there Again, Ryan Dietz along with us, the president and co-owner of Heartland Produce, a food distribution company, but also offering retail support, such as helping their grocer clients with advertising or in-store demos. So, Ryan, I wanted to ask you what trends you're seeing among your retail customers. How are they adapting to consumer shopping habits? 
So advertising, we're seeing a lot of stores that rather than doing the mailers, which some stores are still doing mailers, but then we're seeing a lot of stores, a lot more stores that are doing online advertising as opposed to, uh, you know, mailers that go out, uh, you know, in your mail or in a newspaper. From there, you know, yes, the in-store demos are back. A lot of stores are doing those. Uh, we are seeing, you know, people that are more comfortable going to a store to shop. Uh, obviously, over the last couple of years, we saw online produce, you know, grocery shopping take off. Uh, I think this year we've seen that. Uh, those numbers have kind of stalled out a little bit, so there's not the growth in that area that there was. Uh, a lot of the stores that we service uh, obviously offer online shopping and grocery delivery and things like that, uh, but it has not been growing at the pace that it was in 2020 and 2021. You do a lot more than just put food on store shelves. We know that distributors have also become a key player when it comes to federal and state programs that connect food to the people who need it. And as you were telling me, Ryan, the USDA food box program you've been involved with, can you tell me more about you know why that was something you got involved in, do you expect to get involved in it again as more of these nutrition and food share programs come out through the USDA? Yeah, so early on in the COVID pandemic, we uh, basically um, worked with the USDA as part of the Farmers to Families Food Box Program, and we were awarded a contract to pack food boxes that we packed here at Harlem Produce in Kenosha and that we delivered to, you know, some local and, and regional food banks. So it was a very cool program. Um, you know, it was able to, you know, get food, you know, into the hands of families that needed it, um, you know, during a very challenging time in, in you know, our country's history. So uh, it was a cool program. It was a good thing because it, it helped keep our employees busy. Uh, we were able to support some local growers through the program and some our vendors, which really was the spirit of the entire program. So we, we were really able to, to partner with them to, you know, accomplish those goals, goals right? Feed people that needed it, um, provide, you know, something for, you know, mechanisms that we wouldn't have to lay off employees, that we'd make sure everyone stayed working, and then also make sure that money got back to the, to the growers. So now I guess you're on the list, right, as a, as a potential distributor for any more of these programs that come out. Have you seen any opportunities come across your table? It seems that a lot of these programs have shifted gears towards directing the money to some of the food banks and giving them uh, the ability to go out and purchase product themselves uh, and be able to be able to send it to the food banks as they need it, pack food boxes themselves, things like that. So a lot of what we've been doing is we've been partnering with these food banks uh, on some of those types of programs, um, which has been great. And then we are also uh, a vendor for the TFAP program, which is another program to pack food boxes. Uh, we participate in that in a very small way, but we are still a vendor that you know, we could bid on those opportunities as they, as they come across. That's Ryan Dietz, the president and co-owner of Heartland Produce, giving us a look into what's top of mind today for food distributors. Heartland Produce purchases from across the globe right to Kenosha, Wisconsin, serving grocers, retailers, and processors in the upper Midwest. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff.